Hello, and welcome to the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast, answering all the questions you didn't know you had about family law. I'm your host, Matthew Eitzen, and today on our seventh episode, uh, we are have another uh, appearance of our now third-time guest, uh, Duffy and Eitzen name partner, Melinda Eitzen. How you doing, Mom? I'm great. How are you doing, Matthew? Oh, I'm doing all right, doing all right. Thank you for asking. Uh, so on this episode, we are talking about collaborative law and the collaborative process. Is that correct? Yes, I love the collaborative process. <laughs> and you're one. You are, uh, if I may say so, uh, one of the foremost practitioners of the collaborative process in North Texas. I, I think that would be, or a prominent uh, advocate for um, collaborative law. Let's say in North Texas. Yes, I'm definitely into it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think a good uh, place to begin for those who are not familiar with collaborative law and the collaborative process is to start with a very simple question. What is it? What is it and what's going on? Good question. So collaborative process is created by statute. We have a statute in the family code that allows for it in Texas. And that's true in many states across the United States. But Texas was the first, so we're proud. And the statute allows us to have a non-court, more amicable process to help people resolve their dispute, in this case, to help them resolve their divorce. But it could also be used for post-divorce modifications when people have children until they're 18, they can modify, they could use the collaborative process for that under the statute, or they could use it to negotiate a prenup or a postnup. Well, there we go. Many, many options. Um, and the, uh, what, uh, the word collaborative, where does that come from? Uh, in this? Well, well uh, you know, the common definition of working together nicely um, does apply. But sometimes people think when you say, hey, do you want to do this collaboratively? They don't understand that it's a term of art that it's mm -hmm. actually something in the family code that means a certain thing. And what it means is that we're not going to go to court. We're go going to be dedicated settlement counsel, meaning the two lawyers are both there to help them settle. And that's their only goal. And all the efforts of those lawyers that are dedicated settlement counsel will be towards helping them resolve their divorce amicably. There we go. Now, what are the advantages and disadvantages of collaborative? Why would someone pick the collaborative process over the standard litigation process? It's a great question. I think anybody who is sane would pick the collaborative process. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, having said that, they both have to pick it. The husband and the wife, or the husband and the husband, the wife and the wife, whoever's getting divorced, they both have to pick it in order to do it. It is not the default. The default model, if one of them will not select collaborative, is litigation model. And the reason I say, you know, if they're saying they would do it, is to me, it's the better way to go about getting a divorce. And some reasons that my clients have liked it, one has been privacy. It is a completely private process from the rest of the world. Unlike the litigation process, which has open, we have open courtrooms. Anybody can walk into your courtroom and hear what's going on. Um, 
all filings ha uh, have, well, not all, but most filings are public filings. And now with the internet, they're a little bit more available than they used to be. Used to, you had to go in the courthouse and ask for the filing by name, search by name. But now there's some of that can be done on the internet. So privacy is a big reason. Another reason people really value collaborative is it allows us more creative solutions than is available to a judge ruling on your case. The judge is limited by the law. There are only certain things a judge can do, even if they are sympathetic and wanted to do something else, they cannot. Um, but collaborative, we're only limited by our imagination. So we can come up with some better solutions for families based on their particular set of facts and needs. Then mm -hmm. I would say the third big reason, well, I'm going to give four actually. Third reason, <laughs> there's probably 32 reasons, but I'm going to give you four. So the third reason that is very popular is wanting to control their own destiny. Instead of having um, a stranger in a robe who doesn't know you decide your future and your children's future, a lot of people prefer to control their own destiny and make their own decisions about their own life. And the fourth reason I would say is Collaborative is less contentious than litigation, and some people prefer that. They want to be their higher selves in resolving their marriage, and they want to focus more on the ability to co-parent post-divorce. So if they can act as their higher selves and be more amicable, they're certainly going to have a greater chance of being excellent co-parents post-divorce. Now, even for cases without children, it's a preferred process in my mind, and I've had a lot of clients who didn't have children who highly valued it also. Well, there we are. Well, there we are. Uh, now, could you walk us through the sort of steps of the process? Like, what would it be like to, to go through the collaborative process from the beginning? Yes. Now, one unique feature of the collaborative process is we have neutrals involved. So... You can only do collaborative with two lawyers. Both parties have to hire a lawyer. You can't represent mm -hmm. yourself. You can represent yourself in litigation, but um, you can't in a collaborative case. So again, you have to select it and you have to hire a collaborative lawyer. And I'm trained in both. So I'm a collaborative lawyer and a litigation lawyer. So if people will not select collaborative, I'm happy to help them in litigation. I've been doing that for 25 years, but I just don't think it's the best route. But in collaborative, in addition to the two collaborative lawyers, we have two neutrals. And one of the neutrals is a mental health professional. And the role of the mental health professional is to guide the parties and help them deal with the anger, sadness, fear that gets in the way of the deal. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of the leader of the team and they're the leader of our meetings. And if there's children involved, they will also help the parents to dis to design the parenting plan, which is the parenting time and the decision-making, everything surrounding the kiddos. And then there's a neutral financial professional, and these people are trained and collaborative. It's not just your neighborhood financial planner that you like. These are people trained and collaborative. And the neutral financial professional guides all the conversations about money. So that could be division of the estate, assets and debts, is also the conversations about how are we going to pay for these kiddos going forward? 
What's that going to look like? Is there going to be any type of alimony or um, spousal support going from one person to the other? And they're the leader of those conversations. And what's powerful about a neutral is the neutral voice. So I could have an idea. It could be a great idea. It probably would be a great idea. And I could have that idea and suggest it. But when it comes from me and I represent one party, the other party's going to meet my idea with suspicion. But if my idea didn't come from me, if instead it came from one of the neutrals, then nobody has to meet that idea with suspicion because they are neutral. They're on the side of everybody, of both of the parties of the case resolving. So there's a lot of power to that neutral voice. And I really, um, it's one of the things I really value about collaborative is having the neutrals involved. There we are. Now, um, you, you talked about sort of the, the, the flexibility and, and open-endedness the collaborative process provides. But sometimes I just know from, you know, having observed this business uh, for a little bit of time, people enter into the collaborative process but are not ultimately able to come to an agreement. So what happens in those cases? Okay, that's a great question. So I will first say that is very rare and the success rate is very high. I would mm-hmm. guess, um, and based on some surveys we've done around the country, the success rate runs about 90%. So for the 10% of cases that cannot do it, they have to what's called opt out, because basically you're putting yourself into the collaborative process with a contract. You're signing mm-hmm. what's called a participation agreement, which puts you in the process. To get out of the process, you just say, I no longer want to do this, and you don't have to have a good reason. For any reason, you can opt out, and you in writing say, I'm opting out. And when that happens, the parties have to fire their their dedicated settlement council lawyers and hire new lawyers. And that's a big incentive for people to stay in and keep fighting towards settlement because they don't want to start over with new lawyers, get another Mm -hmm. lawyer up to speed. And it's also a nice incentive for the lawyers because the lawyers can't knee jerk to, well, I'll just see you at the courthouse because they lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is one of the requirements for it to be a collaborative case under the statute. You have to have the lawyers losing the job if it mm-hmm. opts out. But again, in my career, I've been doing this a long time. Since 2001, I've been doing collaborative. I've only had two or three opt out. So it's very rare. Most cases settle. Most cases settle in litigation also. So Mm -hmm. settlement rate is high, but probably about 10% have to get tried. And I think that's because some people just cannot make a decision. They need a third party to make that decision for them. And it's going to be the judge. Well, there we are. Uh, but that's a that's an uh, interesting statistic to hear that it's got a 90 90% success rate. That's good. That's heartening. Um, Make sure there's some hope for for the human race. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, that's all of the questions, the big questions I have about collaborative and the collaborative process. Do you have any last thoughts? You want to anything we didn't yeah. get a chance to get to? Yeah, you asked me a question, but I didn't really directly answer it. So I'll circle back to it. You asked me logistically kind of how it works. Oh, yes. And then I ended up telling you about hiring the neutral. So once we form the team, 
So let's say somebody hires me, they say they want to do it collaborative. The other side hires a lawyer collaborative. The two lawyers would talk about who would be good for um, us to hire as MHP and a neutral financial. And then we would hire those people. And then we would have three to six two-hour meetings with all of those people at the table. And we would work through, we'd have an agenda of what we need to resolve, and we would work through resolution. And at the beginning of the case, the first stage is gathering information. Well, no, that's not true. The first stage is setting goals. So we ask the clients what their goals are, and we that's our marching orders through the whole case. And then after we set the goals, we gather information. And the information gathering is both financial information and information about the kiddos if they have children. And once we've gathered all the information, which we could think we've gathered it all and then have to come back and gather a little more, and that's fine. <laughs> then we move into option development. And when we're option developing, we're saying, hey, here's an idea of a way to settle this. What if we did this? And then somebody else says, what if we did that? And it's kind of good old-fashioned brainstorming where you just throw up all the good and the bad ideas because often you will have a bad idea on the way to a good idea. But if you're limiting yourself on what you brainstorm, you might never get there because you're trying to edit too much of your thought process. So we throw all those options out and we evaluate them. And then we determine, you know, what combination of options would work. And it's amazing. It's kind of like a miracle, although that sounds a little overdramatic. But it is miraculous, the results we end up with. And that's why I'm so sold on collaborative is I have seen results that I never saw doing litigation. I've done litigation 25 years. And I've seen results in collaborative I never saw, even though litigation cases are settling and they're settling through mediation, which I believe in. There's the creative process is different. And I think having that neutral voice brings a lot of power. So we negotiate through all those options and we come up with something that everybody can live with. And then we draft it all up into a decree of divorce and all the ancillary documents. And then we enter that document with the court and the judge will sign it. The judge doesn't get to weigh in on your deal. If everybody agrees to it and signs it, then the judge will sign it. There we go. And one brief question on that, on the logistics. You mentioned that the first step is goal setting. And do you set those as a collective for both parties? Or does each set of parties have their own goals? Just because I could see someone being, what's your goal? Well, my goal is I want 80% of the estate and I want the dog and I want, you know, being a, being perhaps unreasonable in the goal setting stage. Could you yeah, talk a little bit more yeah, about how that question. works? They're definitely setting their own individual goals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll have overlapping goals. So an example of a common overlapping goal is... I want the children to be okay emotionally through this, you know, who would say no to that, right? Right. So that might be something that they both say, yeah, I want that too. But to your point, they may not, they don't have to be friendly in liking each mm -hmm. other through this. I've had cases where they hated each other's guts mm -hmm. and were not behaving well, but they still valued the collaborative process for other reasons. They weren't trying to be amicable, but they maybe liked mm -hmm. the privacy or something. Um, so they may say, I want as much money as I can get. I want that no good, you know what, to not get any of it. They, We would help them to frame their goal a little bit better mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. that goal would be, um, 
you know, I'm concerned about my financial future and I want to have financial stability or I want to have my um, contributions to the marriage recognized as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So the lawyers help them frame it, frame it a little bit. But mm -hmm. it is helpful to the team to hear what's important to them. So, for mm -hmm. example, maybe they say, I don't care how you slice it. I just want as much money as possible. Or maybe they say, I care how you slice it. Retirement's important to me. Or mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not as worried about retirement because I'll make it up later, but cash is important to me. So mm -hmm. some people are just, you know, clutching madly to the house. So it just helps us to know what is important to them and mm -hmm. they can add to their goals later on in the case or change them. And sometimes they do. Mm. Okay. Okay. There we go. Very interesting. Um, okay. I'm looking back over my questions and I, I think that's all. Uh, I think we've covered everything. Um, any last, any last, last little bits? I would just say that there's some good resources if people want to learn more about collaborative there is an organization called Collaborative Divorce Texas, and they can just Google Collaborative Divorce Texas. I think it's their website is www.collaborativedivorcetexas.org to learn more. And it also has a list of all professionals, lawyers, financial professionals, mental health professionals in the state that are actively doing this work. So um, they can learn more about that. Well, there we go. Uh, and if you, the listener, would like to learn more about this topic uh, or about us here at Duffy and Eitzen, uh, you'll find links in the description of this episode leading to some further reading. And if you're looking for family law representation in the DFW area, please look us up at www.duffyandeitzen.com or at dallastxlegal.com. Or just type Duffy and Eitzen into Google. That's D-U-F-F-E-E -E and E-I-T-Z-E-N. You could also send us an email at info at d-elaw.com or give us a call at 214-416-9010. That's it for us here at the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Matthew Eitzen. I'm Melinda Eitzen. And this has been the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast. Y'all take care now. <laughs>